Good evening. How's everybody doing? We're doing great, aren't we? We are doing better than great. We're doing amazing, even if you don't feel like it. Even if you don't feel like it. Position is much more important than how we feel, isn't it? To live by faith and walk by faith is much more important than how I feel, right? And it's amazing that we were taught that in this ministry by a man of God and men of God that have taught us to walk by faith and to be able to think clearly. Isn't it important to think clearly and to be taught how to think and to live in a society that is so entertainment-based that people don't even have the ability to sit with themselves and be able to think and how we've been able to We've been taught and we've been discipled because it doesn't come naturally that we're able to concentrate and we're able to think with God. Not just logically or rationally, but we're able to think with God. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Thank God for that. Uh, Let's just open up with prayer. How about we just take a few moments and you can pray with your neighbor. Let's just pray for the message. Let's pray just for our fellowship and that the Holy Spirit can just minister something to us tonight. Okay, let's do that. Yes, Lord, so we come to you tonight just as your church adopted into your family, been placed in the body, baptized into the body of Christ, at the point of salvation we're transferred from the kingdom of darkness under the rule and reign of the prince of the power of this air and immediately plucked up and placed in the kingdom of your dear son. And we now have the ability to enter into your presence. And we now have the ability to hear your voice and to be led by the spirit into all truth. And we're asking this evening that you can speak to us from your scripture and give us a word that's beyond just knowledge, but rather an impartation of truth that can feed the soul to give us spiritual food, to awaken us to the reality of who we are, where we're going, what we're destined to, and what we're called to in this world. We just ask that you can just bless these few moments in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you want to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, we're going to look at the book of Philippians this evening, just starting in chapter 1 and verse 27, but to get just a little bit of context of the Apostle Paul and the church in Philippi. In just a few moments, I just want to lay out just a few principles of who these people were, what the city was, and getting an idea of why Paul says what he says to these particular people. If you look in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 16, we know that Paul was called by the Macedonian man. He has a vision in verse 9 that Paul had a vision by night and a man of Macedonia was standing there. Macedonia is modern-day Greece. Paul was doing his first missionary journey in modern-day Turkey. And on his second journey, he had this vision where he saw a man come to him in this vision and said, Paul, please come to Macedonia and plant churches here. So Paul does that. In in verse 12, they went to Philippi. 
which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia. It's really the capital of Macedonia. And Luke adds that it was a Roman colony. So they traveled from modern-day Turkey, and they landed in Macedonia in the city Philippi. Now, it's interesting because it says that it was a Roman colony, and that's important for us to know, because Paul is going to use that term in the book of Philippians, that Roman colony. Now, in the Roman Empire, there were two classes of people. There were Roman citizens, and there were those who were not Roman citizens, mostly slaves, but other areas that were conquered by Rome that were Roman territories, but they weren't Roman citizens. Like in Israel, it was occupied by the Romans and governed by the Romans, but the Jewish people were not Roman citizens. And in many areas of modern-day Greece and modern-day Turkey, these areas obviously occupied by the Romans, but not necessarily the people being Roman citizens. But in Philippi, Philippi was a Roman province, or it says that it was a Roman colony. That word in the Greek is polis, P-O. L-I-S. It's the word that we get political or politics from. And if you had a city that was a Roman colony or the polis, these people were given the rights to be Roman citizens. And why was it important to be a Roman citizen? Because you had judicially the ability to appeal your case before the Caesar. We know that Paul was a Roman citizen And that gave him the right when he was in Caesarea to appeal to Caesar. And he had that right and that ability, and the Romans honored that, and that's why Paul was shipped off to Rome. But Roman citizens also had tax benefits. They had certain rights that other non-citizens didn't have. And Roman citizens felt very superior to the rest of the population. They would even look down maybe on non-citizens as lesser than. And this little city, Philippi, was interesting because this was a Macedonian city conquered by a king in 408 or B.C., King Philip, and named after him. But it became a Roman colony because in 42 B.C., this was a great battle that occurred there. And Augustus Caesar took power after that battle. And because that victory that gave him that rule and reign as Caesar happened in Philippi, he granted the citizens of Philippi to be Roman citizens. It was a very prestigious status that these people had to be called Romans. It became a very attractive place, Philippi. It was, it was a place that a lot of military Roman generals retired to. And this city was really seen as a miniature Rome. It was seen as a sister of Rome. When you went there, they had the same speech. They would speak Latin. They would behave properly as a Roman citizen. They had great allegiance to the Caesar. They saw Caesar as some sort of deity and God. And they had great pride and prestige as residents of Philippi, Even though they were 800 miles from Rome, they felt as though that they were allegiant or had allegiance to Rome. So they very much conducted themselves in line with the state. And as a Roman citizen, 
It wasn't so much about your own rights, but it was actually about you using your skills, your service, your abilities, your business for the betterment of the Roman Empire. If you're a Roman citizen, it was all about uplifting the name of Rome. So these Roman citizens and these Roman colonies never forgot who they belonged to. They were aligned with Rome and they had their allegiance to Caesar. So this word polis is really that it is a city state or it is a partnership with Rome. It's a Roman colony. So these people in Philippi really saw that they were partners of the greater good of the Roman Empire and they took great satisfaction in that. They had great pride. Can we say that? As Americans, we, we do have pride. Remember when Bob Soprano used to sing that song? From the lakes of Minnesota to the hills of Tennessee, right? We had great pride in the sense, and we still do, that we're Americans. And people go to war, and we have people that have served this country, people that have served it because they believe in the Constitution, they believe in the Declaration, they believe in the fundamentals of what makes this country great. And we would even say that these people were nationalistic in the sense that they put their nation first. And we see it in our own society that we have this phrase partisan, that if you're a liberal or you're a Republican, you fall in line with party lines and you have ideas and causes that go above and beyond your own autonomy, but it's rather for the sake of the party. Don't we see that? That's how these people were. Just to get an idea of that. They were in line with Rome. So let's turn to Philippians chapter 1. And this is an amazing portion of scripture because we know that Paul now has visited Philippi. This is where Lydia becomes a believer and Paul goes into Lydia's home and he stays there and he does ministry there. But eventually he is run out of town because the people actually say the things that this man Paul speaks about goes against our ideology of Rome. So he faced great persecution when he was there in Philippi. And Paul, we know now, is in prison in Rome, writing this letter to a group of believers, and he wants to encourage them in who they are in Christ and who they truly belong to. Because you have to think that these people that he's writing to are Roman citizens, We see, just to go through a few of these verses very quickly, start in verse 21, Paul says he's in Rome, he doesn't know if he's going to be released from prison or if he is going to lose his head. And he says in verse 21, for me to live is Christ. His whole focus was Christ. His whole mission was to glorify Christ, preach the message of Christ. And he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He doesn't know if he's going to go home and to be with the Lord, but he does say, If he remains in verse 22, it's going to be fruitful labor for him. If he remains in this world, it's just going to be more fruit for him, meaning more souls saved and more edification to the body of Christ. 
He says, I don't know in verse 23, I don't know if I'm going to die or if I'm going to depart. In verse 23, his desire was to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But in verse 24, he says, to remain in the flesh is more necessary. It's not meaning that Paul didn't have a desire for the people in Philippi. He did. In Philippians chapter 1, he says he has a great longing for them. Philippians 4.1, he has a great longing for them. Meaning that the longing that he had for the people in Philippi was the affection that Christ placed in his heart. It's the affection that Christ had for the church. And he said, I will off put my departure and to go to be with the Lord face to face because it's more necessary for me to stay here and to teach you and to fulfill the joy that you could have in Christ. It's an amazing just principle just in that. Paul is basically saying, I'd rather go and be with the Lord, but it's more necessary for me to stay for your joy. He didn't look on his own needs, but he looked on the needs of the church in Philippi. So in verse 25, he was convinced that he would stay. And I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress, meaning your sanctification, your maturity in the faith and joy. It's amazing that he was a man of God that would, who's in prison, going through all of these hardships and sufferings, and he says, I'll stay for your joy. Because he knew that if they would mature in Christ, their joy would increase. And I love that little principle that if we mature in Christ, our joy will increase in Christ. So in verse 28, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. Because of my coming to you again. So Paul basically is just saying that I want to remain so that I can speak truth to you. So that your eyes can be open to the reality of who you are in Christ. And when you see that, your joy will increase. But a look at this in verse 27. He says this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, some translations says your speech. Others have a different translation, but this is a good one. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, that doesn't seem as though that what I just said contextually about being a Roman citizen and Paulus is in that verse, but that is exactly what the Greek word is. He says, live as a citizen of a free state. He uses the same Greek word, polos, meaning that you are a colony of the kingdom of heaven. And I'll show you, if you look in Philippians chapter 3, Paul, who is addressing a Roman colony from the city of Rome, is writing to citizens of Rome And he uses this political language as a suitable symbol of a higher privilege that they have, that they are polis, that they are a country or they are a city-state of a capital city. That he uses this political language as a symbolic metaphor of the duties rather in the identity of who these believers are. He says, first and foremost, your allegiance isn't to Rome. First and foremost, you are a citizen of a heavenly city. Therefore, live as citizens of that free state. He uses the same word in Philippians 3.20. Just look. But our citizenship or our polis, 
He uses that particular word in this epistle because they had great understanding of what that meant because they live with that every single day. Their allegiance was to Rome. Their customs came from Rome. They were 800 miles away from Rome, but that didn't matter. They didn't need people overlording them. They took great pride in the fact that they honored Rome. And so Paul uses that same phrase and he says, you are not citizens of Rome. You are citizens of a heavenly city. You are a city state, meaning that your values, your customs, your culture are all derived from a heavenly kingdom. It's not here right now, but it's in heaven. But you are living in accordance that when people see you, they realize that you are citizens of a different kingdom. And it says our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says in Philippians chapter two, he says that the true king is not Caesar, but rather in verse 10, that every name, every person, will, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. He's saying to the Philippians, you guys are afraid that you guys are outsiders, but let me just tell you, your citizenship isn't in Rome, your citizenship is in heaven, and your king isn't the Caesar, your king is the one that every Caesar will bow their knee and confess that he is the true king. That he is telling them and encouraging them. And he is saying to them in verse 27, let your manner of life have your identity and your understanding that your polos or your citizenship is rooted in a commonwealth or in kingdom that is not on this earth. The Romans were very proud in the sense that they identified as Romans. Paul's saying that is nothing compared to be a citizen of heaven. Because look at what he says in verse 26. He says, so that in me you will have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. The Greek word means to boast in Christ Jesus. It means to be proud of. I remember being a a young kid and traveling in Europe with my family and I had a U.S. passport. And I was proud of that passport. I was proud to be a U.S. citizen. I was proud in the sense of like where I came from. And it's interesting to think that most people that were born into the Roman Empire or were Roman citizens were born into the Roman Empire. And I love the picture that we have nothing to boast in, rather that God has birthed in us the spirit and the new life, and we have been birthed into that kingdom. And we are proud of that. I did nothing for my citizenship. Even with my salvation in heaven, I did nothing. But rather, I can boast in Christ Jesus that he has allowed me to be a citizen in his, in his city, in his state. So Paul is giving, in verse 27, this exhortation to these believers in Philippi to recognize their position, to value their position, to have an understanding of what it's worth Actually, look at what he says in verse 27. Let your understanding, if I could translate it like this, let your understanding of who you are as a citizen be worthy of the gospel. Worthy means equal weight. 
It means the same balance of what it means or what it is. He's saying to them, act as though that you are a child of God. Act as though that your your home is in heaven. Act as though that your, your king and your heavenly father is in heaven and is sovereign and is in control of all things. Act that way. And he says, let it be worthy of what? The gospel of Christ. What does it mean to be worthy? Act in your position that is worthy of what Christ has done for you. What does that mean? Have an understanding that you're reconciled to God. Have an understanding that you have been brought near to God, that you have access to God, that in 1 Peter chapter 1, that you've been born again. Act as though that your sins have been separated as far as the east is from the west. Act as though in 1 John chapter 3 that you are a child of God. Act as though in Matthew chapter 5 that your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, act as though that you're a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That you've been adopted, that you're co-heirs with Christ. That you're righteous, that you're sanctified, that you've been made perfect, that you've been made accepted, that you're forgiven, that you're complete in him in Colossians chapter 2 verse 10. He's saying to them, understand that your citizenship just doesn't give you a tax write-off. It doesn't give you appeal to the Caesar, but rather that he has gifted you a brand new life, that you're his bride, that you have an inheritance that doesn't fade away, that you're his possession for all of eternity, that you're the object of his love for all of eternity, that you will be a vessel of his grace and his mercy that will declare this song for all of eternity, that you have the power of the spirit residing in you, working all things together for your good and his glory, that you're the object of his faithfulness every single second and moment of your life you are a citizen of heaven live in that and that's what he's saying to them that you are the object of intercession in Romans chapter 8 that you're the object of his encouragement that you're the object to showcase his faithfulness That the Holy Spirit now resides in you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. That he baptized you into his body. That he sealed you with the the down payment, the ring of engagement that he will marry you one day and it's a sure thing. That the Holy Spirit now resides in you to speak to you, to lead you, to teach you, to correct you, to exhort you, and to comfort you. Your citizenship has been granted to you simply by grace and it is now your right as a citizen of heaven to come into the presence of a holy, righteous God to declare your needs to him. Paul is saying, I want you to understand your polis, your citizenship, and that you have a right to come before because the gospel has done that for you. So look at what he says in verse 27. So that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. Let me just go through just briefly. How are you guys doing? You guys okay? Okay. Okay, verse 27. Look at just four things and then we'll close. Stand firm in one spirit. Stand fast. It's the idea of a military, military soldier standing fast at his post. Verse 
it's clear that you're going to hold your ground. We see in the book of Ephesians that we don't war against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. That Paul is saying to the church in Philippi, you're going to have opposition. And your opposition isn't people. Your opposition is a demonic warfare that's coming against the church. And he's saying that you need to stand firm. That you need to understand that you have an opposition that wants to push you out of your position in your experience. Wants to push you into a place where you don't identify with your citizenship that you have. So he says, stand firm in one spirit with one mind. One spirit, you can see it's lowercase spirit. Whenever you see in the translations in the Bible, when you see uppercase spirit, it's Holy Spirit. When you see lowercase spirit, it's human spirit. So he's saying with one spirit. Who is he talking to, an individual? No, he's talking to the church. He's saying in your spirit, have this attitude that you are a soldier and you're not going to be pushed around. With projections, with opposition, with negativity, with infighting, with disunity, with jealousy, with envy. Paul is saying this, like in Rome, it wasn't so much about the individual, it was about the empire. And he's saying, have that same attitude. It's not about one individual. It's not about your accomplishments. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about the church. So stand firm with the same attitude in the spirit, being able to resist the opposition that will push you out of your position. So that's the first word, stand firm. And then he says, with one spirit and one mind, striving side by side. I like this because this word striving is an idea of athletics. It's actually where we get the word athletics. It's the Greek word. Athleo is the Greek word. And it's actually plural, meaning that it's not as though that you're striving individually, but that you have a struggle along with other people. It's striving together for the faith. I love that Christianity is not something that we do by ourselves, but rather Paul is using this term. The first word is he says, stand like a soldier. And then he says, strive like you're on a basketball team when trying to win the championship. He says, strive together, struggle along with someone as a team of athletes struggling against the opposition to win the victory. And it's amazing in the book of Philippians, I was thinking about this uh, this afternoon, thinking about this portion of scripture, that the book of Philippians is really about unity. And I was thinking just when he uses this term about athletics, striving together, trying to win the prize, trying to win the Super Bowl. It's funny that if you don't have an objective, you don't have unity. It's almost like if the church doesn't know what the church is there for and they try to make unity, it doesn't work. And Paul is saying to this church in Philippi, and the reason why I think that this is something that he's stressing, look in Philippians chapter 4. There's two women that will eternally go down in the eternal canon of Scripture of fighting in the church in Philippi. The poor ladies. He says in verse 2, these two women... He says, entreat them. Entreat these ladies to agree in the Lord. These two women, they were striving, there was infighting. Let me just say this, in a church, if we lose the main point of what the church is, guess what's going to happen? It's going to be all based upon people's preferences. It's all going to be based upon people's own selfish ambition. 
It's all going to be based upon what people like and what they don't like. But do you know, like in a locker room, when there's a team who's in the AFC championship and they're about to, on the precipice of the Super Bowl and there's two prima donna receivers in the corner fighting with each other, you know what the coach is going to say? Would you guys get over yourself? We got something much bigger to deal with. And when churches start to lose the fact that their mission is preaching the gospel and reaching people with the message of the gospel and it's teaching the brethren about who they are in Christ, when they miss that, they start complaining about the paint color, the singers, the preachers, and all of the above. And Paul is saying, no, you have unity of mind with one spirit, with one mind, striving together athletically for the victory, which is the expansion of the kingdom of God. And that's why this church is healthy. I read uh, a statistic the other day that it says when a church is first planted in the first 10 years to gain a member in the church, it takes one person. It's a one-to-one ratio. But after 50 years, you know how many people it takes to get one new person into the door? 89 people. I'm not saying this church is like that whatsoever because our vision is this, to reach the lost with the message. I'm just saying it's human nature in churches. When you look at those seven churches in the book of Revelation, they missed the main point. They started to think that they were this spectacular, the the Ephesians, that they were wealthy, that they were wise, they had all the doctrine, they had all the understanding, they could quote scripture, they could speak Hebrew and Greek, they could do it all, but they missed the main point. And the church in Corinth missed the main point. So it became a party spirit. I'm of this guy. I'm of that guy. I'm of this guy. I'm of that guy. But when we don't have that focus and we have this one focus that the church is only here for this one reason, to reach the lost and to sanctify the saints, guess what happens with the church? Hey, shut up with those stupid little things. We got a bigger thing. We got a bigger game that we're going after. And that's what Paul is saying to the church in Philippi. Stop your infighting. Stop these two women complaining. You're getting bored. You know, the most boring Christian is the one who doesn't apply what he's taught. I was sitting right there and Dr. Stevens in 1998, when I was a young little kid, said that. And I go, wow, that's I I, I was 16 years old. And I go, that's true. When I start living a church of kind of a political church life, guess what happens? It's all about me. And Paul's saying, no, guys. You're on a team. You're the defensive lineman. You're the linebacker. You're the safety. You're the holder. You're the kicker. We're all on the same team and we're all fighting the same battle. And it's the gospel expansion. And you've all been gifted by Christ himself, a spiritual gift to edify the body so the body will be edified and strengthened so the body can move into the world and preach the gospel. Isn't that fun? That is fun. So look, just the last couple verses. Philippians chapter 1. Just go back there. I love that word. He uses a soldier, and then he uses, he uses the athlete. And that's what this church is. And we're continuing by God's grace in that same idea that we are reaching the world with the lost. Praise the Lord. He says this, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Do you see that? The church is healthy when you're striving side by side for the expansion of the gospel. That's where the fun is anyways, right? Verse 28, the paint colors, the programs, who cares? It's not about that. It's about the gospel. Verse 28, not frightened in anything by your opponents. 
They had opponents there. Paul, if you look in the book of Acts, Acts 16, when he was in Philippi, he had opponents. Do you remember there was a girl that came to him that was filled with a demon, and she was behind Paul every single day saying, listen to these men, they are speaking and preaching from the living God. Remember Paul got, he kind of got annoyed. I think even Luke puts that in there, like Paul got annoyed. It's like, ladies, stop it. And he realized it was a demon-possessed woman. So he cast the demon out. And guess what? The owner of that girl who used her as a fortune teller lost his business. So guess what happened? Paul had a problem on his hands because he was ruining another company like he did in Ephesus. So when you touch the money, you got problems. And when you have people in a culture that are Roman citizens and that are allegiant to Caesar and they start to become allegiant to a Jewish Messiah... You have problems on your hands. So Paul experienced that in Philippi, and he knew also that those same people that gave him problems were still in Philippi giving the church problems. So what does he say? Don't be frightened by them. You know what he's basically saying? It's a good thing. I remember my dad said, I don't know, a few months ago, he goes, man, things are like too good around here. I'm starting to worry a little bit. What is he saying? If you're doing the will of God, you're going to have a fight on your hands. You're going to have issues on your hands. It's not that we're looking for a fight. It's that when you speak truth, truth stirs up the muck of sin and evil, and you have a fight on your hands, and you have opponents. If you're in a family and you stand for Christian values, you're living according to the fact that you're a citizen of heaven. You speak as though you're a citizen of heaven. You have integrity. Guess what might happen in your family? You might have opponents. You're not looking for it, but it's just there. Jesus said, I came not to bring people together, but I brought a sword. Because that's what truth does. People are believing two plus two equals five, and you come along and speak truth and say it's four. You're not doing it to cause a fight. You're just speaking truth. What what am I, a liar? Yeah, you're a liar. It equals four. And I have courage to be able to tell you it equals four. And so Paul is saying... In verse 28, don't be frightened by your opponents. Look at what he says. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. What is he saying? When you have opponents, that means you're speaking truth. If you're speaking truth, you are speaking from the truth giver. Therefore, you are a child of God. If you have problems because of preaching the gospel and speaking truth, that is for you a good thing. Because it's evidence of your salvation. Verse 29, look at this. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. He's encouraging them. Look at what he says in verse 29. Now, that would be a hard message for a prosperity preacher, wouldn't it? To try to explain that verse. He says it's been granted you by his grace to be saved and also by his grace it's been granted to you to suffer for his sake. That is an amazing reality. Why is that? Because Christ suffered. He says if you follow me you shall also suffer. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 that I suffer for the sake of Christ. That is a part of the plan of God. 
in verse 30, engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Verse 30, engage in the same conflict. What is the same conflict? Acts chapter 16, the suffering that the apostle Paul received where he was thrown into prison. He tells the church, you remember that suffering that I occurred when I was thrown into prison and me and Silas were in prison singing the song and the earthquake happened and the, the doors opened and the Philippian jailer was saved. Do you remember what led up to that? All the suffering that we received, the beatings that we received, all of that. Do you know that? Well, that might happen to you as well, but be of good cheer. God has ordained by his grace that you would suffer for his namesake. Do you see how he's trying to explain to them, don't back down, do not give in, do not be pushed out of your position, but rather be joined arm in arm with the same mind and the same spirit, standing firm, because we have a mission, and that mission is to bring the gospel to a lost and dying world, where Jesus said that in the days of Noah, it will be that way in my second coming. That people will be going along thinking that the days are always going to be the same as they've always been. But Jesus said, just be on alert and don't get pushed to and fro thinking that you're a citizen of this earth. But rather in Hebrews chapter 11, you're just a sojourner. You're a pilgrim. You're walking through this. And I love it that Paul says that I rather depart and be with Christ. You know what the word depart means? It means to take your tent up and move on to another country. It means to take a ship that's docked and place it into the sea. He says, you are living in a tent. Your, your boat is docked, but one day you'll take that tent up and you'll move to a heavenly city. Or you'll take that boat and you'll place it into those celestial waters and you'll realize what you've been created for. But until then, Philippians, stand firm strengthening each other with one mind, one spirit, striving arm in arm against the opponents of darkness and the lie, but stand for truth. And if you do, you'll have suffering, but be of good cheer. I have ordained it by my grace that you will suffer for my namesake and you'll do it gladly so that you will glorify your heavenly father. And you will say, like Paul said, my life is nothing compared to gaining Christ. He's saying Philippians be encouraged. And for us, church, we can be pushed. You can think that, what am I doing in life? Where am I going? Look at your passport. Look at your papers. Look at what you've been born into. Reflect on that. And Paul says, if you do, you will stand firm because you know you have the rights to do it. Amen? Amen. So, Lord, we just thank you, Father, that we as Believers, at times, we can be tossed to and fro. We can be maybe beaten down. We can forget very easily. Doug Jansen said years ago, just get this before. Doug Jansen said this. It was so, the Holy Spirit was so good. He said, he he said, when you're in the shower in the morning with a hot shower, the, the mirror fogs up and it's all foggy and you can't see yourself to brush your teeth. He says, you just wipe it real quick. So you get just a little glimpse to be able to get in there and brush your teeth. And he said, it's the same as Christians, that we look through a glass that is very dimly lit, but the Holy Spirit will wipe away the fog so you can see who you are and who you belong to. So, Lord, we just thank you 
that your scripture will just illuminate our eyes to see that our life is much more than meat and drink, clothing. But rather, we're here for a purpose. You haven't taken us out of here yet. doesn't matter if I have one more day on earth. I'm here for a reason. And it's to strengthen the brethren and to stand arm in arm with one mind and one spirit, striving for the purpose of the gospel expansion. And Father, we just thank you that you have placed so many amazing people around us. You've placed leaders. You have placed lay people. You have placed people in the body of Christ that just encourage us and strengthen us. And that even if I'm not in a good place at the moment, that I can just rest in the fact that you are in control and that you will lead me and you will guide me and you will bring me to a clearer place, an open field. And that I'll, I'll be able to see even clearer who I am. And that can be more of a reason to rejoice and have joy. So, Father, we just thank you for this time and your word. We thank you for this place and this great day. In Jesus' name, and they all said, Amen. Amen.